The Go Radio Network, in conjunction with blogtalkradio.com, presents The Comedy Shack. Greetings and salutations to you. I'm Joy Harris, and thank you for joining me this week. For those listening live or later on demand via Bluetooth or headphones, in your car or on your computer, notebook, netbook, tablet, or phone, I am proud and humbled that you join me for this show. Every week, you know, the numbers continue to just blow me away. They continue to impress me. Let's continue to grow the show. Tell a friend about the Comedy Shack. And as always, you can contact me via Twitter at the Joey Harris and by email joeyharriscomedy at gmail.com. That leads us, ladies and gentlemen, right from the top, right from the very start, to our joke of the week. This week's joke of the week is just a really good one. There was this man who lived in this small town and he was a salesman. And and various times throughout the years, his sales calls to take him away from the town for about a month or so. He had just gotten back into town um, after his last latest sales call and decided that after he had unpacked and done a few things and had relaxed that he needed to go and get a haircut. And so he goes down to the local barber shop and he's getting his haircut and getting caught up on all of the town gossip and stuff. And uh, the barber notices a young boy coming into the barbershop, and he leans down and whispers into the man's ear, this is the dumbest boy in town. Watch this. And he calls the young boy over and says, hey, son, come here. And the young boy comes over and he holds out his hand. And in one hand, there's a dollar bill, and in the other hand, there's two quarters. And he says, which would you like? Uh, two quarters or a dollar bill. And the young boy takes the two quarters and runs out of the store, out of the barbershop, brother. And the barber says, see, what I tell you, dumbest boy in town. So he proceeds to commence cutting on the salesman's hair. And then after the salesman finishes his haircut, he pays the barber and thanks him and he leaves. And as he's walking down the street, he sees that young boy coming out of the ice cream shop and he's eating a vanilla ice cream cone. He's just licking me and he says, excuse me just for a second. I'd like to uh, ask you something. The little boy says, yeah, mister, what can I do for you? How can I help you? He says, why do you choose the two quarters every single day over the dollar bill? The young boy stops, looks up at the young the salesman and says, as soon as I pick the dollar, the game is over. So I found that joke and I thought that would be a perfect joke to share with you this week on the comedy chat uh, between the young boy and the barber. I think we really know who the dumbest one is. Lead us right into our next segment of this show that, you know, speaking of this show, I just enjoy so much bringing it to you each and every week. 
And it's time now for our weekly recommendation of the week. This week's recommendation of the week, The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. Now, I may have mentioned this before, ladies and gentlemen. If I haven't, let me tell you now, I am a huge, say that again, huge, H-U-G-E, capitalize it all and put it in bold, fan of Sherlock Holmes. I love the original story. I love all the different characterizations, all the movies, television shows, radio. You name it, I dig it. And this particular film, I had heard of it before, but I just came across it this week. So I sat down and watched it. It's a little bit over uh, two hours long. It's a 1970 film directed and produced by Billy Wilder, who also shared a writing credit for this film with his longtime collaborator, I.A.L. Diamond. The film stars Robert Stevens, who, by the way, is a dead ringer for Alan Rick. If they ever want to do a movie about Robert Stevens in his life, or if they want to remake this movie, they should cast Alan Rickman for two days. Stunningly, alike as Sherlock Holmes and Colin Blakely as Dr. Watson. The film offers an affectionate, slightly periodic look at man behind the public facade and draws a distinction between the real Holmes and the character portrayed by Watson in his stories for the Strand magazine. Now, when this film was written and produced and put out. Billy Wilder wanted this to be a roadshow attraction film. That means that it wasn't put out typically like films would be. It would be a roadshow attraction. They would take the film to, to major cities and it would travel from city to city. And when it came to this city, that would be the only time you could see it. Now, later on, they may release it in a regular theatrical release, but they wanted this to not just be a movie, they wanted it to be an event. Um, but on the way to doing that, in the incidentals, the film was recut and re-edited several times. And as a result, several portions of the film are now lost. And a few of those lost portions have been covered, but I'm still lost. And I presume are to have been destroyed. But the, as the film as it is now, it contains two stories. One shorter than the other one. The shorter one comes first and it's not that great. I think that without with a few minor tweaks, sets up perfectly the second story. But with a few minor tweaks, I feel like it could have could have been better. I said the film was a little bit over two hours. You could probably cut about 20 minutes off of it realistically and not lose a thing. But it contains two stories. And uh, in one, Holmes is approached by a Russian ballerina to help her conceive a child. She's retiring from the Russian ballet and has plenty of money and really just wants a child that 
doesn't want to go through the uh, structure of having to find someone there the conventional way to give a child. She wants the child to have her beauty and someone else's fast intellect. And it's a unique way that home gets out of that particular. I won't spoil it for you, but it's very unique. I will say that. And then the second story, Holmes and Watson help a woman to find her engineer husband. And, uh, the Germans play a part. Holmes' brother, Mycroft, who is in the film played by Christopher Lee, instead of being a bigger, sadder man, as in the story, is uh, portrayed as being very thin. Again, drawing that distinction between the real people and whom they're portrayed as in the stories that Watson uh, does. And when Victoria makes an appearance, and uh, just, it's just very unique. And the ending, I thought it was just heartbreaking. Um, what happens? Again, I won't really spoil anything for you, but. Um, to me, it, it, it is heartbreaking. While not a major box office hit, the film was well, very well received by most critics. It currently holds a rating of 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, and it is currently streaming live on Netflix. So if you have a Netflix account or you know someone who has a Netflix account, uh, set aside a couple of hours on an afternoon if you were in the North Carolina or in the East Coast area. The next few days, I have plenty of rainy afternoons to uh, check this movie out. I, I, I think you'll enjoy it. Again, by Billy Wilder, 1970, The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. Leading us into our next segment, our salute to those who have passed. Um, few names this week. Number first, uh, Graham Walker, 68, British comedian. Frank Lautenberg, 89, American politician, U.S. Senator from New Jersey. Deacon Jones, 74. American Hall of Fame football player, coined the term sack, as in sack the quarterback. That term was coined by Deacon Jones. And, uh, folks, I can't give it uh, enough credit here. I can't give it the honor and the legacy that it rightly deserves here. But if you just want a Mouth-opening, how in the world did they ever let that air? How did that get out of somebody's mouth, much less out of somebody's mouth? How did it ever air on a network? Do yourselves a favor. Go to Google or YouTube and type in Deacon Jones Head Slap. And it is a maneuver that he did while he was in football that he says gives him an extra bit of momentum and an extra step. But his description of the hedge 
see it, you will know what I mean. And you will also say, how on earth did it get released? How did this be the light of day? But it lives on in infamy even after the passing this week of Deacon Jones. And finally, Esther Williams, 91, America's swimmer and actress. I was out and about, and I was um, doing some errands and, and doing uh, different things. And my older sister texted me as Queen had passed away, and I said, uh, now Laura stands you and Como will have to go stand somewhere else. And she was like, huh? What are you talking about? And I reminded her of just that great scene from Pretty Woman where uh, Laura Sanjian Como and Julia Roberts are uh, passing with another prostitute. So why don't you go stand over there next to Esther Williams? And Esther Williams. I remember my sister of that scene. She said, oh, yeah, you've got a good memory. It's one of the things I've been first with. Believe me, it is a gift and a curse. Uh, but those are uh, just some of the people who have passed the past season. We just take a moment to say thank you for all of them and give them a salute. So that's our salute to those who have passed, leading us into one, one of, if not my, the favorite parts that I do on this show, and that is our Trailblazer segment. The Trailblazer segment is our look at those who have paved the way for the rest of This week's Trailblazer, when it came to me, I said, yeah, absolutely. You got to be this person. A lot of people wouldn't think of her, but when, to me, when you're talking comedy, especially of a rural or a country vibe, you got to mention this person. This week's Trailblazer of the Week, Minnie Pearl. American country comedian who appeared at the Grand Ole Opry for more than 50 years and was on the TV show Hee Haw from 1969 to 1991. Excuse me. 22 years on a television show. The first couple of years were um, on the uh, NBC network, and after that, syndicated for 22 years on a show. It's just astounding. You don't get that much anywhere. Born Sarah Colley in Centerville, Tennessee in 1912, Minnie Pearl was the youngest of five daughters of a prosperous lumberman. She graduated from Ward Belmont College, a theater studies major, and dance was one of her passions. And so she taught theater and she taught dance for many years after that. It was really her first uh, brush and her first taste of fame. Her first, her first professional theatrical job was with the Wayne T. Sewell production.
musicals. And while directing these plays and musicals, you got to drum up advertisements and you got to drum up support. So four of these who got to go out and, and give little uh, presentations and speeches, whatnot, at local civic functions and and the like, just anything to throw up support for the arts and the local theater where she is located. And so she did that. And around this time is when she came up with her mini pearl character routine during this period. Her comedy was a gentle satire of rural Southern culture. She dressed in a stylish, homemade dress and wore a hat with a price tag still on it that said a dollar ninety eight. And you know that hat and you know that price tag coming down. It was her signature look for years and years and years. Catchphrase of and I can't do it and give it the gusto that it used to do was you know, the howdy I'm just so proud to be here. And she did that and when her fame grew and in certain areas it grew big, the audience started to do the howdy back to her. And then she would come out and entertain them with jokes and stories songs, comic novelty songs. She claimed Brunder Switch as her hometown and told self-deprecating jokes and small-town stories of humor. Now, Brunder Switch is a real place near, just outside of Centerville, which was her hometown, but it's just basically a point in the road with a train switch. That was called Grinder Switch. But she made it into such a big thing that people just flocked there. They just found a Grinder Switch, which just tells you how how popular her and her style of comedy was during its day. Uh, and, you know, it, it was a deprecating humor. You know, she would tell stories about Uncle Nabob, and especially about her brother, who his fictional brother was both, you know, the country kick in quotes, and also smarter than anyone else. I heard her one time say that um, she went out and brother was cutting a hole in the top of the barn door. And she said, brother, what are you doing? And brother said, uh, I'm trying to get the mule in the barn, and his ears are too big. And I got to cut a top out of this thing so I can get the mule in. And she said, well, it's a dirt floor. Why don't you just dig a trench and get the mule in that way? And brother says, it ain't his legs that long, it's his ears. Uh, and another one uh, gently poking his fun at herself that I saw her do many times. It was just like any routine, you know, good jokes. It gets better. And, it, you know, it brings that smile to face every time you do it. She said a boy paid her a compliment the other day because she 
looked like a, a breath of spring. And she said, Ben, well, that's not exactly how he put it. He said she looked like the end of a long winter. Uh, never one to uh, not poke fun at herself. She married Henry R. King, an air charter pilot, on February 23, 1947. And he had a very successful uh, air charter business and on many uh, country music people as well as other actors and musicians, even Elvis, and it just goes on down from there. The couple had no children, uh, but built a huge um, mansion house right next to the governor of Tennessee's house. Um, many Pearl later on in her life battled breast cancer many years and had uh, radical double mastectomy as well as radiation uh, treatment and was so impressed by them that she became a spokeswoman for the Nashville Medical Center where she had been treated. Now, she did this under her Sarah Hannon, her real persona, rather than the mini girl character, uh, to lend credibility and an air of serious well, excuse me, an air of seriousness uh, to the entire business. But uh, her more known public persona was used uh, to start the Mini Purple Cancer Foundation, named in her honor to help fund cancer research. And the center where she actually underwent her uh, cancer treatments was named Sarah King Cancer Center and also spread out and many other centers now carry that name in that area. In June of 1991, she uh, suffered a very serious stroke which brought her uh, public career to an end. She spent the last few years of her life in a Nashville nursing home, but she so inspired others that she had a constant stream of very famous uh, guests and visitors. Uh, of course, a long time friend, Grandpa Jones, would come by and thank you, or Amy Grant. Just the list goes on and on. She was such a beloved and inspired so many people, all of them, the blue-collar comments, as well as people such as K.D. Lane, the huge fan of many Pearl, and in his last appearance for many, many years. Paul Rubens appeared in 1992 in the character of T.V. at a Mini Pearl tribute show. Uh, folks, that tells you how the way it's from the years right away. Because at that time, 1991 and 1992, it's not a good time for the king to have the characters, all movies in general. But sometimes you got to put aside real things that may cause you some suffering and do the right thing for those that, that you uh, have inspired you and for the people that you care about. 
Complications from another stroke led to her death on March the 4th, 1996, at the age of 83. This past October 25th would have been her 100th birthday, but she would be long remembered as one of the best country comedians there's ever been. And this week's Trailblazer of the Week. Mindy Pearl. You know, that leads me directly into my main story of the week. And I write out a lot of notes. I mainly do the main story from off the top of my head. I do a couple of uh, bullet points to help me. But, uh, yeah, I do the main story just as it, as it comes to me, I think about it maybe a day ahead of time. But this, I had been ruminating on for most of the week. And uh, whenever I do the comedy chat on Saturday night, different than what's trending now, the other show that I do on the Go Radio Network, Joey Stacks, we do that on Friday night. And since that's taken from what's trending on Twitter at that time, I don't really do a ton of preparation for that show. Most of the live back and forth chat and discussion about the trending topics of the day. Comedy Shack on the other hand, I write out a lot of the bullet points from the Trailblazer and the recommendation of the week. I write out fully the opening and the closing of the show every week. That really doesn't change a whole lot. But the joke of the week is something if it's a joke that I've not heard before, I've not told before, I may write it out for verbatim, but I will at least put the bullet points in there. And then, like I said, the recommendation and the trailblazer, I usually write out at least something so I can talk about it. And when I do the salute to those who pass, I write the names, the ages, and what those are meaning for. And if I know something about them or have a personal interest that I know, um, then I will write that to the side like I did this week about the, the Deacon Jones head slap. But that's that. But I changed and switched something around this week. And if you've been listening to the comedy chat for a long time, maybe you've noticed it. Maybe you haven't. Uh, usually, after I do the intro of the week, I asked, how was your week? Have you had a good week? And then I talked about my week. Then we go on to the, the joke, and the salute, and the trailblazer, all that. I kind of uh, tell that back. All of that long-winded story, you know, make a long story short, <laughs> it's too late always in my opinion. And in my case, I can tell you this lately. I'm going to have no problem saying it because I said it about other people. And if you say it about other people, you say it about yourself. I'm the type of guy, if you ask me what time it is, I'll tell you how to build a watch. I overuse information. It's a fair uh, one that I'm working on. But you get what you come with. My main story this week is hanging in and hanging off. So how was your week? And I can tell you, 
album was it too good. Nobody thought about, or at least nobody that I know or would want to associate with, starts out intending that bad week. Now, there are just people who just always seem to be in a bad mood. I work for them, one of those types of people. My short, very short career in radio, my boss was always in a terrible mood. And I would ask him, hello, how are you today? And you always say terrible. And you just, just never put fear. But I'll get into some radio stories another day. But I don't think most people that have have a bad week. I didn't start out half a bad week, but man, it one just phone one to me. I got turned down for two jobs this week. You, know, you, you try to explain good things, good thoughts out there. Sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, just getting canned back and back to back like that, it just gets. You know, it's a full department. I'm not going to lie to you. And every, everything in your life is supposed to be thankful. I generally try to be thankful for everything in my life, but there are times when it just doesn't work out that You know, these are trying times. I'm good for you. My friends and family, I can never, ever repay them for everything they've done for me over the past year. But it just gets so hard sometimes. You know, whenever I come across somebody who knows me, knows my life, and knows my situation, they always ask how I'm doing. They need a lot of Can't make out that I'm doing well, but I'm not. So I just tell them the truth. They then say, well, hang in there, or are you hanging in there? I'm hanging in, and I'm hanging off. And quite frankly, I'm tired. I'm tired of saying hanging in and hanging off. I understand and appreciate the concern. Please don't ever, ever mistake that, that I'm not. You get by with the little help from your friend and your friend. But I'm just ready for the good thing. I feel like I weathered the bad. I'm just ready for the good. A friend of mine told me that we go through all these hard times and these times in the desert so that when we come out on the other side, We'll know the good when we see it. We can appreciate it. I don't like to take things lightly, but sometimes I do. At another time, and I may have said this before, but it bears repeating. At another time, I taught for a year, eighth grade English language arts. And another teacher looked at me one day. And he said with such conviction that it has stuck with me uh, even the almost 10 years since. 
he looked at me and he said, Mr. Harris, you know we're going to get heaven because we've done our time in And I've always remembered that. You know, Stats and I talked about it last night, that shooting at that college. The people were just going about their day, trying to get an education, maybe dropping someone off, doing their job. And now their lives are either over or never the same again. We talked about it last week. People in Oklahoma, the tornado. A couple months ago, the explosion found in Texas for the master in Boston. You don't know what people are thinking. You never know the, the struggle that people go through. I used to write a lot more Facebook status than I do now. But, uh, Sometimes no news is good news, and sometimes no news is just next to no news. But one time I put, you know my name, you don't know my name. And that's true. You know their names, but you don't know their story. You don't know who they're going to be. And that's the my main story is for. But it's not really one story. Well, it's my and it is. I'll tell you what I mean. It's an overarching story about three events, three separate points on the act that is my life. So I guess you can say that it's not for And you're welcome to it. Story number one. I mentioned before when I did the trilogy about the last two years of my life, the hard time that I was going to be in the late summer and early fall of 2011. And trying to put off the inevitable, I reached out for help. And I know how hard it can be to reach out for help. Because it was hard for me. But thankfully, my employer at the time provided um, a program called Employee Assistance Program. And you could go and see someone for a few sessions to talk about different things. And it was hard for me to go and ask for that brochure and that pamphlet. In fact, a really good friend of mine walked me up there and stood beside me and I asked for that pamphlet. And then I went and I called it in a very nice young lady named Kim answered the phone. And she took my information. And she says, I've got a time available here. How about one o'clock on Friday? 
And actually, I'll be the one that you're speaking with. And I said, oh, that's fantastic. Thank you so very much. And she gave me her address. And um, to, to just um, save on some things. I said it was one, two, three, Harris Street. So I wrote that down in my phone. I can do most of the things in my life. I put it in my phone. Wouldn't we all be lost without our phones? One, two, three, Harris Street. And this thing, that was uh, on Tuesday. Thursday night, we actually, the founder of the Go Radio Network, Big PJ himself, can just make a good story, but only tangential. He called me up because he had tested stuff rather badly on the hand, and he needed me right away. He probably had to go to the doctor. So I jumped in, and he lived in another city, and I brought up the address and went and picked him up, and actually he got most of the blood stopped, and so he just abandoned it. I drove him to the CGS and got him some bandages and went back and we talked for a while. And after shaking hands, I went on back home. Now, the next day, I eat lunch early. I got an early lunch. And I tell everybody that I'm leaving. I've got an appointment off campus. I get into my vehicle and I punch in the address. One, two, three, Harris Street. But my phones are too big. And my right thumb hit last city instead of current city. And the last city was the city that TJ lived in and not the city that I lived in. And unbelievably, there was a 123 Harris Street in that city as well. Unknown of my error, I set off and proceeded to head to some of the backiest back roads you've ever seen. I didn't know why I was taking me this way, but figured that the GPS must know the address, know that it was sensitive information, and so it was taking me away that people wouldn't see me. And 10 minutes later, it was 10 minutes to one. I pull onto Harris Street, and I'm right smack dab in the middle of a cul-de-sac. I realized my error. Rerouted myself, and I was 20 miles away from my destination. Late lunch um, traffic, 20 miles to take me 45 minutes, and I had 10 minutes to my appointment. So I pulled out my phone, made a call, and left a voicemail. I made a mistake. I'll be there as soon as I can. And I made a 45-minute drive in 25 minutes. I showed up at 115 profusely apologizing for being 
that is not me. But after filling out forms, only had 35 minutes of an hour session left. But I got it out and started um, trying to put things back together in my life. That was 2011. We're going to put a pin in 2011. We'll be back to it. I'll tell you about the next story. I've got to go back and tell you about the silence between two breaths. In late February of 1998, I was in college. I was a sophomore in college. In my final semester before my junior year, now the junior year was the year that it all started to come together for me. I would become a resident advisor. I would get more friends. I would bid along with two other people against an army of 20 people and win a regional conference. I would go to many conferences and I would have the times in my life. All of that was set in place late February of 1998. I'd gone home that weekend. Two of my good friends, Alma and Crystal, I'd known them both for years. Alma I'd known them our entire life. Our mothers are best friends. Crystal I'd known for a few years, and for that year she also went the college that I went to, and we, you know, I don't remember what I did that weekend, but I'm sure it wasn't anything too spectacular or brilliant, anything like that, but it was a normal weekend, and then we all got together and traveled back home. I lived in one building, they lived in another. I was all male. There's all feet. They dropped me off, and we'd meet back up in 15 minutes so that we could go get something to eat, having missed the cafeteria time, not really being a friend of the food. They started the cafeteria on Sunday night. They get my stuff. I put my stuff down, go off to the restroom, and then meet them and go down the street to the local subway restaurant along with Alma's roommate, Sarah. The four of us eat an unspectacular meal, I'm sure. A sub is a sub, whether you get it from Subway or somewhere else. And there are various types of subs, but I digress. After our meal, having a good time, we drive back to campus and get dropped off, and they drop me off at my building. And we noticed that there was an end at the building next door. We wondered what was going on and promised each other that if we heard anything, to please let the other people know. We, they left to go to their building. I walked into the lobby and there were a ton of people around and all of them had different theory, different things that they had heard 
one said that there was a student who was violently ill. Another says no, there was a student who was violently hurt that he'd fallen down from stairs. And another one said that a student had died but didn't know how. I go back to my room and I'm putting out the clothes that I brought from home that my mother had washed for me. And then I got a call from Alma. They had found out what had happened. A young man new to campus that semester had taken that weekend while his roommate was away. And life had become too much for him. This young man was a golfer. He had taken his golf strap and hung himself with Now, this is a very emotional subset for me. Because I didn't know the young man. I didn't meet him until he after he was already dead. The memorials went up and people talked about it. And I learned sometime later that the young man had been indeed trouble for a long time. And just couldn't take it anymore. And when the memorials went up, the production, I think that's the part of the all. Because we all followed the same thing. I remember seeing that guy, whether it was in the hall on the way to class or in the union or maybe in the lobby of the building that you both lived in. I remember seeing the guy. But it was not. I remember meeting that guy. Or I remember getting to know that guy. I'm sure that people in this program, on this hall, especially at the roommate, knew or thought that they knew people. And I'm sure they took it very hard. I took it hard. And like I said, I didn't really even meet the guy or get to know him until after he was already dead. That was just one of those things, you know. You start to go through the motions. You're not really living anymore. You're just going through the motions. A few days later, my friends all met for lunch, as we normally did. And I had gotten there first and had actually eaten my food by the time we came up. And how's it going? I remember looking up and saying, I just had a meal and I can't for life of me tell you what it was. Because we all know that life gets hard sometimes. Sometimes you just can't hold on. But I would implore you, nothing else, please hold on just a little bit more. Because it is such a hard thing for the people who left their heart who wish that they'd done something for you. Even if you didn't think that it wasn't worth it or that you wouldn't be there. You will be, even by people who 
take two breaths. And in between those two breaths, someone else's life is silenced forever. Now I want to tell you about someone else. I'm going to call her Katie. Realizing that it's not the thing. Katie lived a rough life. And it wasn't her fault. She had demanding people. And she had a brother to whom she was very close. And then he died. And that was tough on Katie. But you go on. And then Katie goes on. She lives her life. She meets. And they fall in love. They get married. And then he turns out to not be the Prince Charming type. He turns out to be the abusive type. And she gets abused. But she doesn't take it forever. As tough as it is, she got out and should always be commended for that. And she moved away and restarted life. And then life again took its toll. And She had health problems, very serious health problems. And just one thing after another, and you know how life can be. Life will beat you down if you like. And sometimes even if you don't want it to, life will beat you down. And so life was beating her down. And she thought, I just can't take it anymore. She was going to take this out between two breaths. Rejoining my story, October the 20th, 2011. August the 1st of that year, I decided to make changes in the way that I lived and decided that uh, I was going to start eating healthier, getting the help that I needed, and going to the gym every morning. And so I did that. I called out to counseling. I started eating healthier. And I started going to the gym at 6 in the morning, Monday through Friday. And then to keep yourself accountable, which is something you got to do in order to wait, I started to make a Facebook status every single day. And um, I would do inspirational things, mostly for myself, but I noticed that people started to like them. And I don't remember... The thing that I put, I took the 20th, 2011. But I remember that day, so it was going to be a very big day for me. Because my first session 
was a new therapist. And to me, most importantly, it was my first ever concert, comedy concert that I was going to do. And so I went about the day. And finally, the time got there, and I did my concert. And I'd known Katie for a few years by that point. And she said that I was a really good friend to her. And so she, and she knew that I was going to be on stage at the concert, went on my Facebook site to say goodbye. Because she was going to do it that night. And saw whatever I had written for that day. And it inspired her. And she didn't do it. And I'm so thankful. I take no credit at all for whatever was there that day. I'm just thankful that I was able to help someone who needed help. Help them in their hour of need. And I was the vessel that was used. And the most important thing that I have always done on that day, more important than the session, more important than the counseling, was to get up and take 20 seconds to write a status on Facebook. Folks, not complaining about depression. I've suffered from it. And many others do. There's nothing wrong with getting help. Saying, hey, I need help. Or, hey, I need to talk this over with someone. I'm holding, hold on. Find help. Talk this over with someone. Because Life is worth living. I know that always means that, but it is because something else is always coming tomorrow, and tomorrow can be a better day than today. Hold on, talk to somebody, get some help, because you never know whose life you're going to affect. Thank you for joining me this week. And as always, you can contact me at Twitter at Harris, Facebook.com slash JoeyH37 and email me JoeyHarrisComedy at gmail.com. Check out all the shows on the Go Radio Network at GoRadioNetwork.com. Until next time, good night. God bless.